What's your relationship with the universe? Well, I live in it, <laughs> to start with. So it's a pretty intimate relationship. I am part of Arguably, we are the universe's consciousness in that we are made of all the same matter that makes up every rock circling around every you know other planet star out there in you know 13.7 billion years um, of, of universe and as far as we know at the moment we are the only conscious um, beings that have self-knowledge so are aware of our predicament um, so yeah my painting is about exploring space you know pictorial space and I use the devices of outer space and architectural space and science and religion to explore that you have to play you have to push the boundaries and in that you run the risk of failure and there are failures, um, and the failures are multi-leveled, and you know, but you have to wear those as kind of badges of honor. And, and the trick is to attempt in some way to learn from them. All, all I would say is, you know, just, just do. You know, don't get too trapped with. You know, there are so many pressures with, particularly I think now, and in in all walls. I don't think it's a, a preserve of art making or you know the art world. There's so many pressures in terms of um, getting results of success, what, what it means to be successful, or, or what, what's seen to be successful, you know? So the success is just doing, it's just, you know, getting up another day and, and having the, the privilege of, of practicing, you know? This week on American Real, we welcome to the set world-renowned artist Giles Alexander. I continue to be amazed by the context of conversation that takes place when sitting across from a fellow human being. Giles provided a rare view into the depth of his work, which includes his fascination and understanding of nature and the cosmos. In the artist's statement from his recent exhibit titled, Eternity, Far Away, So Close, he says, this body of work continues to reflect upon 
existential themes. Who are we? What is our place in the grander scheme? Is there a knowable truth? He goes on to say, in my practice, along with figurative clarity, I am compelled by what cannot be seen, or can be seen only with technology. We discuss his unique technique, the necessity of failure in order to grow, and the privilege of practicing. I now invite you to sit back and relax as I welcome Mr. Giles Alexander. This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. My guest today is Giles Alexander. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And Thank welcome you. to upstate New York. Yeah, thanks. It's good to be here. What's your uh, initial impression? Um, very beautiful. I had a, had a lovely drive up yesterday morning. Um, I have been to upstate, but I was, I was informed last night that it was not upstate at all. Um, people call it upstate, but now I'm genuinely upstate. I, I think I was only about an hour and a half out of Manhattan last time. So, no, um, very beautiful. Um, it's lovely to be here in Binghamton. Yeah. And last night there was a very nice exhibit, a private showing of your, sure. of your yeah. latest work, which is here in the studio where we set up. Uh, what was that experience like for you? Um, it was very intimate, very um, generous. You know, people were really appreciative, appreciative of, of my work. I got to, you know, I got to engage with people, which I think is really important, and actually speak to people one-on-one, -on -one, and the intimacy of the, of the event and the occasion, you know, afforded me that opportunity. So it was, it was really, really good, yeah. So there's, what, about uh, 12 pieces in yes. this exhibit? Yeah. About how long did it take you to produce... You know, I, I guess in terms of direct work on this this show, it's probably probably a good seven or eight months, mm. and then of course that's off the back end. Yeah, years and years of development and blah blah blah. But um, yeah, it's probably at least seven or eight months work. Yeah, in the studio. And are you when when you go to work, just so people understand your routine mm. a little bit? Yeah. Are you an early riser? What's, what's your yeah, typical because day I have like? a nine-year-old son. <laughs> yeah, look, um, I have a, actually a very work-a-day kind of routine, you know, a very, dare I say, business-like routine. My wife's an academic. Um, we have a beautiful, growing son who, since the dot has, you know, has demanded getting up. Um, he's just about broken the 6.30 threshold, but usually it's between... It's, through his whole life, it's been between about 5.45 and 6.30. But look, I love that part of the day. I love spending time with Bruno early in the morning. And, you know, yeah, you, you wake up and, and have a lovely morning routine. Um, we live in a beautiful neighbourhood in the middle of Sydney. Great access to everything. I can walk to the Opera House. I can get a bus to um, the beach. Um, I mean, it's really very special very idyllic kind of, you know, um, little village atmosphere. Bruno's school is two-minute walk around, around the road. We know all our neighbours. It's lovely. And then from there, I set off to the studio once, you know, I've dropped Bruno off at school. So, yeah. And for up-and-coming artists who mm. may be watching or listening, what does it take, both from a mindset standpoint and just um, 
confidence to yeah. be able to do this as a profession, to do what you love? Confidence is an, is an interesting word. I mean, what it really takes is just diligence and, and determination and work. And, you know, this is, and I've said this a few times on this trip, and I, I mean, I've said it before, but the, work, the word that I keep coming back to is practice, you know. And I come back to my son again, you know, he, he's learning to play the piano and the clarinet. And, you know, I, I, very early on, he, you know, I, I think it's very natural for, for kids, for us humans to think, oh, you know, I, he, he thinks he can play the piano and the clarinet because, you know, he's picked it up a couple of times. Like, you know, I've done that. I've, I've... And so getting that idea of practice and I say to him, you know, I go to my studio to practice. It's all practice. I mean, it's not about the destination. I mean, it's the oldest, the oldest one in the book, but it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. And the journey is the rewarding bit. You have to remind, remind yourself as an artist, as, a, as an exhibiting professional, you know, commercial, dare I say, artist, someone who, look, I'm commercial in the sense of I, there's a prerequisite to selling my work because that enables me to make more work, you know? Um, so there is that pressure there, and you're aware of those pressures. But, you know, the, the process, the act, actually practising, is that's, that's the gift and that's the, you know, that's the beauty of it. So, you know, all, all I would say is, you know, just, just do. You know, don't get too trapped with, you know, there are so many pressures with, Particularly, I think now, and in, in all walls, I don't think it's a, a preserve of art making or you know the art world. There's so many pressures in terms of um, getting results of success. What what it means to be successful, or, or what what's seen to be successful. You know, with social media, you you know, there's all these, you know, all these targets you're meant to hit and. And that's not really, that's not real success. And, but you have to remind yourself that. Um, so the success is just doing, it's just, you know, getting up another day and, and having the, the privilege of, of practicing, you know, uh, having a daily ritual of being an art practitioner. And as part of that practice, the word I think about as well as consistency mm -hmm. because it's one thing to practice but you have to be consistent yeah. in that practice right yeah. daily yeah um if not seven days a week maybe it's six days a week yeah. or five yeah is that is that that consistent? i have to say is i have to look for me it's been pretty effortless um really my whole life um i i guess at an early age i became defined by by you know, this idea of, of myself as an artist. I, I got an art scholarship to a, to a prestigious school very early on that my mother, you know, um, I thank, thank eternally for, put me forward for. I mean, I always painted with my father. My father's an architect. So it, it was a, you know, it's a logical progression. You know, I saw it always as a possibility. But this scholarship, I guess, um, consolidated in my mind you know I guess define me very early on well that's what I do that's that's what I'm here for um and really since then yeah I, I've it's always fairly effortless to I don't have to kind of will myself on to you know where am I going to find the, the drive to every so often I get a little blip in the road where 
there's a, a, a small flat spot, but it's pretty few and far between. And, and usually the problem is far too many ideas and not enough time rather than the other way around. So, yeah. And that's human nature, right? Yeah. We yeah. didn't have those little blips. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And then I think that, well, on that, you know, as you get older, as you become more experienced, it's, you know, it, it becomes a case of not only being present to those blips, but actually somehow trying to not take advantage of, but um, really try and process those blips because they're there for a reason. And, and they're, embrace they're, them, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I, I am there, but I am open to that as a possibility and, and trying, I guess, to work on, um, on what, the, what those blips can teach me. Yeah. Giles, let's talk about influence. Hmm. You said you received a scholarship at a young yeah. age. Yeah. So art has been part of your world yeah. for probably as long as you can remember, sure. right? Um, who were some of the artists that influenced you? What was, if you could take us back to those early yeah. days, do you, re, do you recall? I do. I mean, look, in no uncertain terms, probably my, my biggest, you know, enduring influence is, is my father. So he, as I say, he was an architect. Um, he painted his whole life and, and continues to now. My earliest memories, it sounds so kind of almost corny, but... Um, my earliest memories of genuinely sitting in, you know, um, little vineyards in the south of France on a little um, easel beside my father on his easel and painting, you know. And so that's a really defining kind of, you know, memory. But then beyond that, when I guess I started really taking notice in art, I guess, you know, the Impressionists were, were very big. Um, when I was at a kind of pivotal age, you know, in the 90s in, in London, there were lots of retrospectives at that time. It was just the start of these kind of blockbuster shows that were coming through. So there was an enormous um, Monet retrospective, great Cezanne um, retrospectives, which I was, you know, really, really taken with. Um, and I, I was lucky enough to travel a fair bit with my family. So we, we travelled a, a fair bit in, in Europe. Um, and I think, you know, all of that lit the imagination. They're very, they're very accessible, the, the Impressionists. I think that's why they have this enduring, you know, um, that's why they're so universally loved. Um, and that's not to belittle them. They're, they're, they, what they did when they did it was truly, you know, earth-shattering in terms of, you know, the, the history of art. As I, as I grew up, um, I, you know, I became more interested in kind of earlier art. I'm, I've always been very, very interested in religious art. Um, Such as? Well, so, I mean, I, you know, really the history of art is almost like a catalogue of, of, you know, man's religious life. I mean, the, the church, and we're just talking about Western art here, you know, the, the, the Catholic church is, you know, probably the greatest... Um, uh, art um, uh, collector or you know example right yeah I mean you know all of the all of the great masters you can poke a stick at you know Michelangelo Raphael you know 
Leonardo, and then through later and later, you know, everyone was painting for, for the church. So, but I, I had a really pivotal visit to Florence um, on a school trip when I was 17. And interestingly enough, I'm just about to revisit Florence in the next month, and I'm so excited about that. First time I've been back since I was 17. Yeah. So, yeah, look, I, you know, literally too many to mention. I, I, you could ask me to be specific. I should probably be specific, but it seems a little bit random. There are, I, I'm, I'm very eclectic, really, with my tastes. Um, yeah. And I know uh, you've mentioned in the past that uh, Spanish artists mm, have also sure. influenced you. Absolutely, yeah. Who are some of those? Um, well, uh, Goya, um, Velasquez, um, El Greco, most definitely. Um, they have this kind of, El Greco particularly have, has this kind of heady ecstaticism. I mean, you know, he, he was essentially painting religious, um, in, by and large, you know, religious themes for, you know, donors, for clients. Um, but there was this really very kind of guttural, you know, ecstaticism going on, which I think is a, a very kind of, you know, I mean, as his name suggests, he's obviously, he's not originally Spanish. He was from Crete, I believe. So, and El Greco, the, the Greek. Um, but he made his name and I think became, you know, very successful artist in Spain. Um, and yeah, really kind of tapped into, I think, that, that hot and heady kind of, you know, um, uh, Iberian Peninsula, you know, um, uh, yeah, psyche, and yeah, I love that. I love that work. Very intoxicating. What is it about the relationship between a collector and an artist, whether they're here today or mm. been from a hundred years ago? Yeah. What is it that if you're if you have a piece in your home or in your office? Mm. Why are we so attracted to that? What does it do to, to us, to our psyche? It's a very interesting question. Um, maybe you're asking the wrong person. I'm, I'm on the wrong end of uh, <laughs> the question. I mean, look, I'm a, I'm, no, that, that's legitimate. I am a collector myself as well. And I have, you know, I'm in, I'm in a great position. I, I swap lots of artworks mm. with, with friends. And, you know, it's a lovely thing to do. And, and those works in my house give me great, you know, um, um, they, they provide meaning to my, my, my life. Um, they act in some way as kind of signposts and markers to, you know, represent points in my life. Um, but that's all from a very personal point of view. And, and beyond that, you know, I think, you know, as an artist, I, I really respond to the technical aspects of 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 those artworks um, and knowing the artists is, is always a very kind of special relationship. I think that's become, it seems to me in the, you know, in the last five or, or more years, five or 10 years, there seems to have become a greater emphasis on the, the relationship, the direct relationship between artist and collector. And I think that's in part due to the internet. Um, the gallery previously was almost, you know, it, it acted as a, a more kind of rigid 
intermediary body between the two. And, and I don't know. I, maybe I'm jumping to conclusions here. I think, I think there seems to be a more fluid connection between artist and collector. And galleries are well and truly recognising that. And I think it's, it's being appreciated that everyone can benefit from that from that relationship and yeah certainly lots of many of my collectors um i know personally as friends and i mean i had a great connection last night um with someone who bought my favorite work in in the exhibition which i'm really thrilled about um yeah and to have that personal connection which is why it's you know so valuable for me to be here on the ground. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's a great example. How often does that happen where you actually meet the person yeah. by your art? Does that happen more often than not? Or? The majority of the time. That's I mean, true. I make a point of being at virtually every opening I, I've, I have work in. Um, I mean, it was very strange, actually, because this, this, this exhibition opened a couple of weeks ago. But then we decided, or John and Anthony decided to, when we started talking about the exhibition, that there was a there was a kind of synergy between the work I was proposing and the Luma Light Festival, which is you know in town this weekend. So we decided to have you know the the artist reception etc. this weekend. So I I held off and I didn't come for the you know when the work was initially installed and it was quite bizarre not being here because I think that's the first time um, that I've, I've kind of taken that tack. But yeah, um, the value of being here on the ground, I've, I've had presentations with these guys in Miami and I've been out there a couple of times, um, back in New York with uh, Lou, Louis Mizell. And yeah, it's, I think it's a lot of value in being there. So let's dive into your work, which is um, just incredible. I, I did have uh, the um, ability to see the exhibit when it opened last month. Yeah, right. So we came yeah. in for that first Friday, yeah. and um, you know we'll definitely show some of these pieces so people can see. But the one behind our wall mm. here is just incredible. What's your relationship with the universe? Because uh -huh. that's, <laughs> that, that's well, I live in it. To start with, so it's a pretty intimate relationship. I am part of it. It is part of me. I mean, it's a really interesting, you know, we, we kind of tend to think of the universe and the cosmos as out there and forget that we're all sitting on this little rock hurtling at tens of thousands of kilometers per hour through the universe. You know, we are part of the universe. And I, I mean, as an extension of that, you know, it. It's a fascinating kind of mental conundrum to, and I, for me, a very fertile area of, you know, uh, to, to mine, that arguably we are the universe's consciousness in that we are made of all the same matter that makes up every rock circling around every, you know, other planet, star, out there in you know 13.7 billion years um, of of universe, and as far as we know at the moment, we are the only conscious um, beings that have self knowledge, so are aware of our predicament. So, you know, in a really staggering sense, we are the universe's consciousness. You know, I've never heard it put that way, but it's true. Yeah. 
right? It's true. Because we, we know so it. little about the brain. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we've just grazed the surface. We know, we know a lot about the mechanics of it, but we don't know about consciousness. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't, it's such a gray area, if you forgive the pun. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, um, there is, who knows? Um, it's a fascinating area though. Tell us about Cecilia Payne. Is that her name? Oh, Cecilia. yes. Yeah. Yeah. What do you know about her? Well, I know that she, you know, of course, um, tragically has not quite been written out of history, but certainly has not been given her fair dues. Um, you know, she arguably should be, you know, should roll off the tongue in the same way as Einstein or Newton or, you know, it's a massive contribution to our knowledge of our, you know, cosmic ha habitat. So she, um, and I'm sure people will kind of correct me on this, I, I tend to take broad brushes, as, as I believe is my um, right as, a, as an artist. I, um, you know, I don't have the, the, the brain power or the... Um, uh, um, credentials to to be you know an academic but I take an academic approach to my artwork so I am fascinated with with you know ideas and theories etc but she her contribution was she was really the first person to figure out what the sun was made of and um, and figure out that um, you know the constituents of um, the universe and how how much those how what percentages of those constituents of helium hydrogen etc you know um made up the universe so which is pretty staggering stuff yes. um yeah no i noticed that on your facebook mm. that you posted something about yeah her. so i did some research and right yeah i was curious because case in point i i never heard of her no it's well such i mean you never heard of her because uh, unfortunately essentially because she was a woman and and you know she was think she was born into born into a you know reasonable kind of upper middle class um, family who had means but she was seen and deemed as you know just a girl so I think she had to really fight for higher education which brought her I think um, essentially to the US when she was the first woman to get a PhD um, at Harvard I believe yeah that's right yeah. Um, first I think person to um, get a PhD in astrophysics or I mean like so many firsts mm -hmm. and yeah yet she's a name that we don't know and I'm working on an artwork with the, which bears her name right really? now yeah fascinating yeah gives me the chills I had you know yeah. I have no idea mm. wonderful we'll, we'll bring her name to life through this yeah conversation as well yeah okay so many of your works are focused on planets sure and i guess that's where i was going with that initial yes. question which, yes. what's your you know what's the fascination what are you trying to express yeah look i think it's kind of a two-pronged approach essentially i'm trying to express my sense of belonging okay so you know I, i've mentioned pre earlier that i went to boarding school which probably set up a certain you know psychosis and a certain kind of you know on one hand it gave me a terrific sense of 
um, confidence in, in art as a possibility for my life. Um, I, I'm fairly sure without that um, scholarship experience, I, I probably wouldn't be here today. Um, at the same time, it in no uncertain terms wrenched me from a loving and secure family life, which, you know, and I, I think of that now in terms of my own son, who's just yeah. turned nine, the idea is just like abhorrent. I just could not possibly go through that. And, you know, it's a mixed feelings. I, I have both kind of, you know, com you know, I'm in some ways confused and about that in terms of my parents' decision-making at the same time, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful. So it's, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm a complex, you know, um, adult with, with baggage. Um, but, you know, so I am really looking for belonging, you know. I, I have subsequently, um, serendipitously, to be honest, um, relocated myself to the opposite side of the earth from my place of origin. So I live in Sydney, um, lived there for virtually 20 years, which seemed like a logical, well, it seemed like a natural thing to do after the boarding school experience, I think, very early on. I came to the idea that, you know, the world is my oyster and I can kind of live anywhere. And I've been very lucky. I have a beautiful, loving, you know, family home, um, great family. My wife's family in Sydney are amazing, very generous, and I, I feel loved and cherished, you know, in that, in that environment. Um, but nevertheless, a fundamental part of me, the, the defining part of me, is from elsewhere. And so I guess... My work is really about exploring that, and I, I look at that, I guess, through the lens of us as a species and how we have both historically and continue to today find meaning. And though the two, as far as I can see, the two kind of main um, projects of man that that, hi that hinges on is religion and science, you know? And so I look at, yeah, the cosmos, um, our kind of furthering exploration of that and I look at religion through through um, architectural spaces which obviously harks back to my experience with my father but also operate both of them operate for me fundamentally as a realist painter and and the, probably the overarching project of realism is the depic depiction of space on a flat surface you know it's an illusion it's kind of the oldest trick in the book you know since the invention of perspective in the renaissance um which is just convention that we've all learned and accepted okay you, you know we've even got it here in the backdrop and you know it, it's everywhere it surrounds us all the time we don't even we look straight through it we don't even recognize it as a trick which is exactly what it is um so yeah my painting is about exploring space you know, pictorial space, and I use the devices of outer space and architectural space and science and religion to explore that. Awesome. And then you add another element to this, and that's motion. Yeah, yeah. Where did that come in? That came in in so much as, you know, I guess uh, I, I keep coming back to this idea in my mind of a bit of perspective, which I think we could really do with in in the world at the moment we, we we live in very bizarre very reactionary times where 
in certain in a certain sense the world seems to be contracting and it becomes very and it's become a very protectionist and you know everyone's kind of very guarded and you know even though we have all this interconnectivity and all of this great knowledge of everything that's going on around the world we're all kind of looking over our shoulder and we just need a bit of perspective and you know that's i think you know the the, the planet paintings is kind of i have, i think for me an opportunity just to you know present the idea that we're just this tiny tiny infinitesimal little rock floating around in space as soon as you come off you know take this, ourselves off the the confines of that and we've only ventured as far as our nearest little rock which on the cosmic scale is nothing whatsoever but as soon as you step away our ideas of up and down left and right our whole idea of the electromagnetic spectrum, which you know our eyes register a tiny part of, it all flies right out the window. So, yeah, introducing that kind of motion into the works um, was a way of kind of exploring that as an idea. Well, that's fascinating. Um, and again, I'm going to refer back to the piece behind us that we'll show. Mm. Um, I love that piece. Can you explain a little bit about? the process yeah what what are you actually doing because I, I look at it I admire it tremendously and think how did this happen yeah yeah look there's an idea there that I'm trying to convey so you know there's a process of you know um, exploring a concept um, then the actual physical process of painting is actually really rather traditional and I'm quite a I'm, well I'm more than a sucker for I I greatly admire you know old world painting arguably much more so than the vast majority of contemporary painting um, I you know personally give me a Bellini over you know a, a Warhol any day of the week I mean I, I, I love I love that age-old inquiry that you know you know slowly sought you know approach to honing a craft over years and years and years um and which is so kind of absent in today's society and not valued as far as i'm you know not that valued as much as i think it should be um but so i take a very kind of slow traditional approach to the actual application of paint but then I guess I kind of willfully distort, but I, I play and push that fundamental process by using this very toxic, very nasty, but very kind of contemporary um, materiality, which is the resin, which I coat the majority, many of my works with. And that sets up a few things. Firstly, you know, it further kind of blurs the boundary between the handmade and the mechanical or digital, which is very much where my work kind of inhabits. You know, people, I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's slightly unfortunate in some ways because very often people see my, my work as an image. When they first see my work as an image online or something, they, I think the assumption is very often that it's, it's produced mechanically, digitally in mm -hmm, some way. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that, response is, is compounded very often the first time they experience it in the flesh and then slowly the penny drops and they kind of realise, okay, it's handmade. 
And I, I welcome that kind of little gray area. So I'm kind of playing and treading that line. Um, the resin also sets up this very kind of interesting, multi-layered and ambiguous um, spatial quality, whereby it at once kind of makes you almost painfully aware of surface because you see your reflection in the surface and every time you move, the whole thing is moving and you as the viewer are implicated in the work. But by extension, it, it kind of creates a fictitious space as well because you, you're aware of the whole room that's kind of reflected behind like a mirror. So yeah, it's, it's a little bit, it's an intangible thing, which I like about it as well. The, the, the painting is so explicit, so realist, um, but the resin, you know, is at once kind of, you know, hyper-realistic because it's very, virtually impossible to paint a painting that is any more real than a mirror reflection. But at the same time, it sets up these really intangible, you know, spatial ambiguities, which, yeah, you, you can't quite pin down. And you have some diversity in your work as well. Sure. Can you talk a little bit about the different... Yeah types of art that you look do. you have to play you know you have to play and you have to be you have to be prepared to fail as well I mean and for me certainly there's more successful works here than others I mean that's just on my own personal you know what I'm trying to achieve and some come together more I mean that's always the case with any body of work um, I was deliberately playful with this with this body of work um, you know John and Anthony well and truly kind of gave me complete carte blanche and said, you know, you go for it. And, you know, we, we're happy to present what you would like to present. So that was a great opportunity. Um, but yeah, you have to play, you have to push the boundaries. And in that, you run the risk of failure. And there are failures. Um, and the failures are multi-leveled and, you know, but you have to wear those as kind of badges of honour. And the trick is to attempt in some way to learn from them. Um, rather than kind of constrict and, and, and become fearful and yeah. If you're not playing then I, I for me in this business, um, if you're not playing then I really don't see the point. If you're just churning out products then, I mean, you know, it, that can work. It, it, you know, horses of course is people get off on different things and you know, I'm not projecting the rules for other people but for me personally I I have to be exploring I have to be I have to play and so very seldom do I present exactly the same body of work over and over I just couldn't do that drive me nuts and the piece that you mentioned earlier that sold uh, last night yeah has a, a black hole if you will sure. in, in the center was yeah. that is that kind of a part of it because that's what I felt when I looked at that piece. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a painting based on the image of a black hole. So we just this year, for the first time, imaged a hole, which, you know, <laughs> is a bit of a conundrum, you know. Right. I mean, it's a beautiful, amazing thing, like just technologically, just thinking of that. I mean, you know, the thing is, you know, millions and millions of, you know, uh, kilometres, so light years away, um, we've finally, you know, honed our technology to get this really blurry image of you know a, a black hole devouring matter and what you actually what the image what you're actually seeing the 
from the image is like a heat signature of the matter that it is chewing up and devouring. Um, so there's this real conundrum there of what what is actually being represented and and for me look that that work the image and the painting of based on that image ticks so many boxes because it's at once a realist painting but the the resource material is so blurry and it's so essentially abstract that it can just exist purely as an abstract you know um, object and then to punch a hole through the middle through the you know the picture plane and extend that that sense of space and you know yeah I some some work some works just come together it's 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 really quite it's small in scale it's very concise and yeah that to me is yeah I, I'm, I'm I'm particularly pleased with that work so I'm, I'm very very chuffed that um, that collector got that piece last night and she was very pleased with it and we had a great conversation so that's wonderful can you tell us about some of the books that you read mm -hmm. you sound very versed you know in, in a lot of this um, are you interested in do you, do you read about the universe? What yeah, I mean, look, I've actually, I, I think for most of my life, I, I read non-fiction. Um, I've only really recently come to fiction, interestingly enough. Um, but yeah, I look for a lot of, much of my late teens, early 20s, I read almost exclusively kind of um, uh, physics and astrophysics, either books or publications, I mean, it's kind of interesting because it's completely the reverse of my wife, who's an academic, and she only reads reads fiction. And I I, I think it's so interesting because I can I think it makes complete sense. I'm I'm like a sponge absorbing information and kind of you know ingesting it and then spitting out some some kind of artistic you know creation of that process. Anna, my wife, is, um, you know, she is producing information and to release and to kind of, you know, she needs, like, I guess the poetry and the, the, the creation, the creativity of, um, you know, of fiction. But what I have really come to appreciate is that fiction, like good fiction, poetry, you know, says so much more than the data you know good writing you know getting an appreciation getting a grasp on that getting having an appreciation for i'm actually at the moment reading wolf hall so i'm a massive i mean i think it's because i'm a self-imposed um uh you know exile um brit living in you know the new world i i am such a sucker for period dramas i've just just lap them up but I love history and so Wolf Hall is an amazing um, uh, book by Hilary Mantel um, and I think one booker or one of those big prizes and it's actually a series of three of them and it's about Thomas Cromwell who was this incredible it's all based on historical you know um, uh, individuals so Thomas Cromwell was the just wily, just super kind of instrumental um, personality of um, Henry VIII's court. And arguably is 
very much responsible for England becoming so powerful in that Tudor period and going on, you know, to become such an instrumental part of Europe, etc. And he was the, the son of a blacksmith, um, beaten, you know, beaten all shades by his father, awful relationship with his father, became this very hardened but incredibly worldly and travelled a lot. And yeah, is it? There's a great TV adaptation of it as well. Um, but, you know, I'm reading that at the moment, and that's, you know, an example of the fiction that I like to read, which is, you know, it's based on historical data, if you, if you will, but says so much more than, you know, than, than me just reading through rings of, you know, history. And on the other, ha on the other end, I, I love books like, say, uh, um, Guns, Guns, Germs and Steel, I think it's called. Um, and books like, you know, The Middle Sea, which are all kind of, you know, uh, you know, Guns, Germs and Steel explores our, you know, conquering of the new world, our, you know, Europe's conquering of the new world and how, and how, you know, it's not accidental. There are so many factors that contribute to, you know, Spain and Europe's, you know, um, conquering of those indigenous peoples in, in the New World, the funneling of, of gold back into Europe, which ignited or, no, maybe didn't ignite, but certainly bankrolled, you know, the Renaissance, which led to the Enlightenment, which, you know, there's all these knock-on effects, which, you know, explain in many ways why we are the way we are today and... Yeah. Um, so I, I, yeah. Look, I'm not a voracious reader. I, you could, you know, there's always room to read more. I, um, I, uh, my wife is, you know, she's one of those people who can, you know, read a book in a week kind yeah. of thing. And um, but I definitely, I love, I love words, and I love, you know, uh, learning things. So yeah. So if we can, let's transition a little bit and talk about the business side of mm. art. Uh, a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs, sure. or even artists that you know, are trying to make it, but if you can, talk a little bit about the relationship between yourself and a gallery. Yeah. How yeah. does something like that come to be? Um, uh, in my experience, it's a fairly fluid thing. I mean, I think initially, you know, as, a, as an artist starting out, you're so kind of, um, you know, not obsessed, but you're, so, you're very aware of the mechanism but you've got no real idea how to become part of the mechanism and then things start to happen you know relationships kind of blossom and and develop and um so you know the the reason I, i'm i'm here today speaking to you is through a you know a odd confluence of very old you know actually back to school relationships that had knock-on effects which gave me introductions um, who facilitated connections with and you know and ultimately I, I met Anthony and John at Miami a couple of years ago but I, I guess the point I'm making is that it's it's fluid and the art the art business is a funny funny mercurial thing I mean I, there is certainly a massive massive business side to it and I wouldn't. I wouldn't profess to be, you know, the the sharpest tool in in the in the bag in terms of how to navigate that. Um, I'm far more concerned with 
making work and the production of, of, of my, my work and my practice. And I, I'm a great believer in making, you know, I just make work that I want to make. And I, I, I think you could really come a cropper trying to second guess what the market wants and making work for that. And then, I, I, I don't know, I, I suspect that if I attempted to do that, I just fall flat on my face and I completely get it wrong. And so it, that makes no sense to me. To me, I can just shoot from the hip, make the work that I want to make. And then, you know, hopefully people recognize that it's made with integrity and that they recognize that there's, you know, skill there and uh, a genuine inquiry. And then the rest, you know, the business side of things, I, you know, hopefully comes along, you know, with time, but. And that's what, just trusting the process and, and, and the people that you're, you're involved with. Yeah, yes. I mean, I, I think you can, you know, there, there's ways to maximize that as well, of course. Um, and I think that's to do with, um, you know, having, uh, you know, I, for example, I, I do pride myself on being at, um, at all my exhibitions. Um, kind of no matter where they are, but having you know a, a professional approach to um, to what I do and being available, um, being able to communicate you know about what I do and being having convictions of my work and um, yeah look, it's also a, kind of a question of of taste um, for you know personally speaking i mean some artists i think are much more proactive with you know marketing themselves um that that's kind of fine and well and good and I, there are definitely many many vehicles for that and social media is you know one of those things it's growing and um and you know i know artists who have um you know who work with um media companies and and there's really no right or wrong to any of it. I think you just have to go with what's right for you. Um, yeah. You've been all over the world um, since you were a kid mm. going to exhibits. Um, you've traveled halfway around the world to be here. What's your impression of a small gallery that represents you yeah. in upstate New York? And, and I say small gallery. I mean, sure. they have a worldwide presence. That's but, right. you know, when you come right down to it, it's a very small area with yeah. a great art community, but yeah. how does it feel? How does it compare? Um, what's it like to walk in this room and see your work? It's, look, I mean, I think fundamentally it's really reassuring that, um, you know, people, people's approach to my work and to, and to art in general is kind of reassuringly um, not the same, but... Um, I'm always, I'm always fascinated that, in my, to my mind, the world over, people's similarities are far more striking than our differences. You know. And for example, I, and it's hard to interrupt, but I, I think I know where you're going. When you walk in this room, you probably would say, if if, if I were in your shoes, wow, they they took the care to do this as I would. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I felt at home. And I felt at home immediately. I've never, I've never even been to this space, you know. That's the interesting thing. I've shown with these guys a few times, but it's always been at art fairs. And I've looked at images of, of the space and I kind of, you know, made a mental picture. But, and then I obviously I sent the work ahead of me. 
So I arrived and all this work that I'd been working on for months and months and left my studio, you know, a month or so before it was put up here, um, was just here when I arrived yesterday. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit disconcerting, not disconcerting, it's just a little bit odd, temporary for a, for a split second. But then I felt very, very at home, um, not only because it was my work up here, which I was obviously familiar with, but just because of the format and the layout was, you know, yeah, as I would, as I would hope, um, and as I, as you said, as I would, you know, approach myself. Yeah. So what's next for you? Where where do you go from here in your career? Do you have a a, a new project that you're working on? What happens after an event like this? Yeah. So um, I mean, this this trip is. A little bit crazy, just in terms. Of, I mean, so I'm on the ground here for five days, which is a little bit nuts, given that it's a effectively 24-hour journey on each end of that five days. But so be it. Um, I, you know, I've caught up with some friends in New York. I've got another night in Brooklyn before I leave. I actually spent a year in New York, um, about '97, something like that, um, and. You know, so I've got connections in New York. Um, I, I, I used to work for Christie's in London many, many years ago. So, and I've kept in contact with some of those um, connections. And I'm always, you know, interested in connections and opportunities. So I, I dearly hope, you know, I will be, you know, having more projects in the US. Um, I believe we're, we'll probably, you know, have some work again in Miami with, with Anthony and John. Um, so that's... That's what I'll be working on in the short term um, in terms of here in the States. I get on a plane on Sunday. I'm back to Sydney on Tuesday morning, lose an entire day in the sky. Um, and then I get back to our equivalent of Art Miami, which is Sydney Contemporary. Mm. So that's our big annual art fair. And I've got a presentation with a gallery there, Olsen um, Gallery, who represent my work in Australia. So I'm very excited about that presentation. It's a big new architectural piece. Um, and then I've got about a week there. I'm off to London to catch up with my family. And my, my, my little family is coming with me to catch up with my, you know, my folks, my, my mum and dad and sisters. Then an art residency in Provence, which I'm very excited about. Um, I love that region as we've, you know, discussed and then an, another residency in Florence which I'm you know totally thrilled about because that to me is just it's such a magical place everywhere you look you know art sculpture architecture of you know it's fundamental significance to the way the the, the progress of you know the western canon of of, of you know art um, since you know 14th 15th century onwards so yeah, super excited to, to get back there and kind of respond to those spaces. Yeah. yeah. And that kind of takes me up to the end of the year. And yeah, then my next solo present, presentation will be, back, will be back in Sydney yeah, okay. next year. Great. No, and I'll, I'll be anxious to hear. Uh, hopefully, we can connect after your Florence trip. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, it's been a long time, right? Since yeah, you were there. Absolutely. And yeah. it's kind of coming full circle yeah. at what. I would assume is the height of your career. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, you know, artistic careers are kind of amusing. <laughs> I, I, I intend to be doing this still when I'm, you know, if I'm 70, 80, 90, you know, that's the kind of interesting thing about 
you know, being an artist, you kind of gain momentum very slowly, but hopefully, you know, you just carry on. Yeah. So, yeah, who knows? Wonderful. I have a couple of questions, uh, then we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up. Sure. I, I so appreciate your time and, no and problem, spending time no. with us uh, and, and having our audience listen to your wonderful story. Um, if you were to pull out your cell phone mm. and call the 20 year old Giles. Right, right. What would you say to him? Ah, that old question. Hmm. <laughs> what would I say? I think just like, don't worry. You know, I mean, a lot of energy, I think, in life is taken up with, you know, not so much anxiety, but just stuff that you, I, I mean, this is me talking to myself now as well. You, you know, I seem to, and I think we generally concern ourselves with probably expend a lot of energy, emotional energy about stuff that probably will never happen. And, you know, and even the, even the, even the good stuff, it may happen or it may not. And it kind of doesn't, you know, live in the now. I mean, um, but yeah, you know, work hard, be kind, be kind. Awesome. It's funny you say that response because just last night, our 13 year old son, my wife and I were we're talking about something. He thought it was a little bit of a, a bicker, but we weren't. We were just actually talking. Yeah. He's like, why, yeah. why do you guys worry about this stuff anyway? Mm. It has mm. nothing to do with anything in the big picture. And yeah. Here's a 13 year old yeah, saying it. that. So yeah. sometimes our kids could actually oh, remind absolutely. us of, of My that. son teaches me so much, yeah. you know, so, so much. And, and inevitably, whenever he annoys me or upsets me, I am painfully aware that I'm looking straight in the mirror. Yeah. You know, or really when I'm truly, and he he impresses me so much. He impresses me no end. You know, in terms of like emotions and like the way he manages emotions, and like so much to learn from my my son. He's incredible. Yeah, and I think that's a little different than like our parents' generation, mm. and maybe it's getting a little yeah. bit better. Like I, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people, say our age, that. Yeah. Um, are listening to that younger generation yeah. and it, we can learn so much. I think our generation, and I think men, it has to be said, we have come so far in like two generations. You know, two generations ago, you know, very much the male went out and earned the bread, bought it home, you know, wife stayed at home, did the cooking and cleaning. I mean, I, that is certainly not the, the case in my house. You know, my, my wife is a, you know, a very, very busy professional. She's an, she's an academic, as I mentioned. Um, we lead a very, you know, um, energetic, full, invigorating, and, you know, very versatile life. And, um, yeah, I think as a society, we have come a long way. And if you think... I. If you think how long it took us to evolve to get to that point two generations ago, and we're talking tens, if not hundreds of thousands, potentially even millions of years to evolve that way of living. And then in two, basically in two generations, we have short-circuited so much of that. Um, I mean, it goes back to your, your question um, about the, um, the very underrepresented um, physicist, you know? And that is purely a, 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 a um, result of her of her sex. Right. You know? Right. Whereas today, that, that would well, not you happen. You would certainly like to think that would not sure. be the case today. Right. And that is, you know, it's a brief window of our in the evolutionary sense that that 
has, I mean, we've got a long way to go, don't get me wrong, but we, we are making inroads, which is a very good thing. Yeah. Giles, this, this has been a wonderful conversation. Yeah, I've, I've learned a lot today. Uh, that's why I love doing this because selfishly, I learn from every guest. <laughs> but I'm able to spread that out yeah, to, right. to a lot of people who also learn. So thank you for sharing your story. One last question before I let you okay. go. Okay. I ask every guest this because yeah. I'm just interested and I love especially to ask this question to artists. Hmm. What do you want your legacy to be? Yeah. I think, um, you know, just take a step back and have a look around you, you know, just try, yeah, have a look, have a look up, have a look out. Um, I think we're very, very busy looking in and concentrating on, you know, this here, just step back and, you know, see that we're, as I said, you know, momentarily before, I think our as a species, our similarities are far more striking than our differences. And we waste so much time on that, you know. You know, you think of every, every religion, for example, that springs to my mind, is essentially, fundamentally, in the, exactly the same business. Exactly the same. And they've got little details along the way that are, you know, minute differences. But if you look at what they're, you know, the, the inspiration for it, and the, the ultimate goal, they are exactly the same. And how much time, life, do we waste over bickering over those differences? Just because, because we, we're here all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yes. Giles Alexander, welcome to the American Real family. Thanks so much. Thanks for and having me. I can't wait to follow your career. Yeah, thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks for tuning in to American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv, or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review, as that helps others find our show. I am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support. If you'd like to be part of our inner circle or want one-on-one -on -one coaching, check out the American Real Learning Academy, where we have self-help groups and courses so you can build the best you. We also have a new Facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world. If you want to go even further, maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast, contact me today to see if we could help. You can reach me through Instagram or Facebook or email me directly at roger at americanreal.tv. And speaking of podcasting, our next course will be starting soon. So, if you're interested in launching your own podcast, join me and podcast your passion. I'll take you through my eight-week course where I'll mentor you to build a world-class podcast. I'm only taking on a small group of people who want to share their passion through broadcasting, where I'll have you up on iTunes and YouTube within weeks so you can podcast your passion. Click on the link below for more information. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.